0: some breaking news. It's been reported a short time ago. that.
1: Um, Well, Sean, I'm here in Furhouse. Um, I'm told that the alarm was raised by a relative, but it's not clear who that was.
2: Really an an appalling tragedy in Furhouse. Now, we were given to believe by people at the scene.
3: February 2006, a tragedy occurred in Furhouse in Dublin. A woman suffered a bout of psychiatric illness and took her own life and the lives of her two young sons. But that's not what this programme is about. This programme is about what happened next. Because soon after hearing the news of the tragedy, some people became part of the news. People in the area and in areas where relations of the dead lived. The national media arrived on their doorsteps. The media was valued and hated. This programme is about the complicated relationship we have with the media at the time of a tragedy. My own interest? I live in Furhouse, I am a journalist, I contributed to the reporting of the tragedy. I saw my kind of work through the eyes of those around me, especially children.
4: been downtown on O'Connor Street and getting the call to go out to Fairhouse and I do remember coming to the scene. It was
3: very cold. Jimmy Cunningham was sent by the Daily Mirror and Fergal Keane was sent by RTE Radio.
2: Yeah it was a very nice day. The night today, cold. The sun was shining if I remember correctly.
3: RTE News sent Stephen Gregg.
4: This is a satellite mobile unit used for television news predominantly and um, we'd be
3: dispatched out once a story would break. TV three news sent Laura Ryan
5: I would cover a lot of crime scenes and I'd cover a lot of you know violent deaths and things like that
6: the Tala echo sent Warren swords my role is basically kind of stand back from the whole events and kind of like write about the you know the media people on the ground that sort of thing
3: and Paul Drury was working as an editor back at the Irish Mail newspaper offices.
7: This was a huge story. Most
3: papers would have put two, maybe
7: three people on the job. We might have been slightly ahead of that.
5: Fergal Keane is in fur House and he's
7: been talking to shocked neighbours. Absolutely devastated. I mean, I passed by that house this
4: morning from my own house and went across... The I
2: essentially just interviewed anybody that came along. Maybe I did knock on one or two doors uh, and people had been there before.
5: The children were unbelievable. They... It just seemed to come out of everywhere and all the children were really willing to help all the media. It
6: was a bit unsettling that the kids were being asked questions in relation to the deaths of another two kids.
2: There were a lot of young teenagers around in the area and there was a lot of hysteria, young girls crying in groups.
5: Even their parents, normally, who you would sometimes expect to bring the children or say, come in and don't be talking to them, they were all very helpful...
2: In a situation like this, I wouldn't go along interviewing very young teenagers because what you get isn't very true or accurate, I find, in most situations.
5: With television interviews, you obviously can't speak to children or use them on camera without their parents' permission, and you know, we wouldn't do that.
4: If I think I door about 70 houses in the two days, I wanted to find out who this person was, and I wanted to get information about the family, and yes, I wanted to get a picture.
5: And I'll often say to somebody, you know, if I'm trying to get a pick-up picture, I'll say, well, look... Someone is going to get a picture anyway.
4: Most kids have pictures of mobile phones. Most kids will have pictures uh, on the internet. These Bebo sites are full of pictures.
5: The media is going to get a photograph. So if you have a really nice one of your son that you like, give it to me and I'll circulate that and use that one well, for seven you. And now here with it says in the papers, Brendan O'Brien.
6: All papers carry many photos. The, Irish examiner the
4: pictures of the children emerged on the first day.
5: There was one particular family, I remember, and there was two little boys... Their father said, oh I have a load of photographs in here I'll go in and get them for you.
6: This girl kind of came running with a photograph flapping in her hand. And I think within 10 seconds there about 15 journals around her. There was a, a reporter came up from a tabloid newspaper
4: and two children approached him. And they offered them the picture, and they said, "Look, this is this is a picture of the two little boys who were after being killed in the house."
6: So then, um, the photograph was taken and it's pinned to it. the windscreen of a car with a wind wiper, and then all of the, all the photographers sent took photographs of that photograph, and it's handed back then later on a bit crumpled. Where you have
4: a tragedy, the picture somehow can either numb the tragedy, or you can you can look at a person through a picture and say oh, my God, I mean, that's that beautiful person that's just after passing away. It's so
6: terrible. And I thought it was quite bizarre that she kind of knew what happened to her friends, but I'd say not only she kind of fully realised the extent of what she was doing and handing over photograph and subsequently seeing her friends on the front page the next day then with, you know, several headlines, that sort of thing. I just thought it was quite bizarre, Now, Pictures sell newspapers. You know, it's very hard to sell a newspaper with just print alone. You know, you do need the photograph or the photograph of the crime scene. I mean, with certain big events like this, sort of something to control. There is a guard, imagining imagine, the, the media, but this one was, I wouldn't say free for all, it was close to us. I mean, there's journalists queuing up, to are going from door to door like gas and you know, the same questions.
5: There's a certain way of doing death knocks, I think. They sometimes send me in if I'm the only female there. You might punch one of the lads and say, get off my property and whatever, but you won't do that to me, do you know what I mean? And sometimes they'll think that women can be gentler.
3: I did that, knocked on doors in Furhouse. A year later to research this programme. I went into shops and made phone calls to ask people what kind of contact they had with journalists. Here are three stories that circulated about the journalists in February 2006. A couple of photographers climbed over the back wall of the house where the deaths took place to take photographs. An elderly woman from the house next door got a garden hose out and chased them away. I called to the house next door. No such thing happened. Another one. A journalist came to the door of the school When the secretary told him she had nothing to say, he kept pushing at the door and asking her for a quote. The secretary says no such thing happened. And finally, journalists were going around offering children money for a photograph of the deceased woman. I couldn't prove or disprove that story, but later in the programme you can make up your own mind about that. What is true is that that story had a significance for the relatives of the victims. So what was the reaction of people to being questioned about the tragedy? It really depended on how much journalists thought you knew. For example, if you were just a neighbour on nodding terms, then you got relatively little attention. If, however, you were a work colleague, for example, you got a lot more.
8: Can I relate just one small incident?
3: This is local priest Father Madden. I
8: was coming up along the pavement and a photojournalist and a companion took my photograph, came over and said, we have your photograph, what's your name? And I gave my name and proceeded on my way, but a bit disappointed that the thoughtfulness that one would expect around a tragedy wasn't there
3: were they aggressive towards her what was the the, the approach
1: boorish i'd say someone asked in here what was the lady herself did you find her kind of a bit depressed or a bit down no personally i found asking in a local shop wasn't the place, nor the time to ask these questions. You know what I mean? I'm only working in a local shop. I'm no expert on a person's medical conditions. You know that sort of way? I have to admit, I found the media very intrusive. Coming in, kind of, I started letting on the new people and then started asking questions. You know the sort of way? You know. um, we had one woman come in, and you knew a mile away she wasn't from the area, and she was only in to find out what she could find out about the people. And then we copped, she got into a van with one of the radio stations on the side of it outside.
0: I got a phone call to give a quote
3: This is Derek, a mentor of the football teams of one of the children of the family
0: His number is on the team website which is how I contacted him Psychologists came in and offered their support to anyone in the group, parents or children alike, whoever wanted help at the time I was aware of that particular evening that there was a reporter outside trying to find out what was happening inside but we got on with what we had to do and that was fine well.
3: And did you think that reporter was just trying to reflect the way the community was coming to terms with it or were they looking for dirt?
0: Well, it's difficult to know because there are some reporters and they're excellent at their work and report very sensitively about what's going on and then there are others that you'd have to question the motives involved. I'm, what, six doors away. I didn't have too much contact with any of the journalists. There was one journalist that called from the mail newspaper and asked if there be any photographs of the family, which we said no.
3: How did you feel about them asking that?
0: I felt it was a wee bit intrusive, to be honest, with you. And so soon after all had happened, I don't think even if I had a photograph, to be honest, I would have gave it to her.
3: And but did you understand from the journalist's point of view why she was looking for a photograph? Did you?
0: I did, but to be calling door to door so soon after, and asking for photographs of the kids and the woman herself, I found was a bit, a bit too close.
3: Can I tell you about one man? He lives a few doors away from the scene of the tragedy. He was in two minds about speaking to reporters. He saw a reporter interviewing children which bothered him. On the other hand, he thought some of his neighbours were wrong not to talk to reporters. He thought that that gave the impression that there was a cover-up and that the whole road knew something about the family involved in the tragedy, which was not the case. His wife took the photo of the group of children on the road that appeared in the papers the following day and she took it one afternoon during the summer. He asked a couple of children how the reporters got the photograph. One of the children said that a reporter had said to them something along the lines of Isn't it a pity we don't have a nice photograph of the children who died? To oblige, the children went off and got one. One last thing about this man. He was sitting on the couch watching TV. The couch backs onto the window of his sitting room. His six-month-old baby was on his shoulder looking out of the window. He turned his head to look at what she was seeing. The next day he says, he bought the paper and saw a picture of himself and the baby on the couch looking out the window. He says the caption read Residents coming to terms with the tragedy.
5: Three news. It had been on the radio, on the television all afternoon, so by about early evening people began to change. People didn't want to talk to you.
4: They did not want to know you, they didn't want to say a word to you.
5: The kids were more or less told by their parents to withdraw really from the area. Well, sometimes you might get that.
3: You Stephen Gregg, who operates the RT News satellite van.
5: You may get a vibe from, from people, but particularly
4: if a story is dragging on a bit and it's affected the local community... And there's an element of frustration might creep into it.
3: So do people ever say to you, you're vultures or you're stalking people? or Me personally, no, but I have witnessed other people being approached by people. Stephen has been working on the coverage of the sea tragedy off Dunmore East.
4: Well, I was there for a couple of days. And there are
3: stories coming from there of journalists being abused and one being attacked.
4: But we understood it to be their frustration at the way the story was developing. And they wanted to retrieve the remains.
3: People have been
8: angry and have directed their anger towards me. But
3: I've never Brian O'Brien, O'Brien photographer with the, the Irish Times.
8: Times. I could well understand it. I think when people are upset and they're angry, they kind of have to focus it on something and it would be inevitable that they'd focus on third party. And I mean, who better than a complete stranger in a, in a Gore-Tex jacket with cameras hanging off him? I mean, I can understand that completely because obviously what, what they see the media doing is so trivial.
5: I do remember doing a live news report and there was a lot of children there and they were throwing things at me and it was quite difficult to try and stay composed and to try and give your live updates to the nation.
8: I remember covering the funeral of a nurse who was killed in the third world and I was standing quite close to a lady as, as I was waiting for the coffin to come out and she just said to me, I ho- she said to me in a very quiet and dignified way, I, I hope you're proud of yourself. And uh, that
4: was worse than any anger I've really felt really
8: felt bad after that
4: and we all sort of made a constructive decision that by about two or three o'clock on the next day that just, just wasn't right. It was time to move on. You know, a photo of the woman was eventually going to emerge, but there was too much pain and too much hurt in Fairhouse. Who
5: joins us now from Fairhouse, Fergal. And it's more the, than five hours. This morning hours, when children
2: were, were leaving, the principal, Morris Curtin, he gave each of them a flyer to take home to their families. It's probably worth it just telling you what was in that flyer. He said, dear parents, following today's terrible tragedy,
8: our school community... We gave bulletins, regular bulletins, through the school to parents advising parents because you see through the media sort of misinformation can issue as well from schools.
5: Uh, Samantha Barry because last night she spoke to Morris Curtin.
8: The lady asked me from Morning Ireland to speak that night I wasn't prepared for it but when I said to ring me back afterwards. Uh, our first reaction of course was uh, sympathy. To... When did you feel obliged to talk to the media? I don't suppose I did feel obliged I thought she was fantastic, that particular lady, but she helped me again in in with Indian fuel, like, and I knew immediately this wasn't uh, trying to catch me out or everything else. It was generally what the media are there for. I have been in touch with the NEPS psychologist. I have been in touch with
3: with Now here's a curious thing: if you were a parent trying to decide whether to send your child to school the day after the tragedy. You wanted to know whether you could shield them from hysteria and whether the school was actually in control. Then listening to the school principal doing an interview on the radio on the morning was a very useful way of doing that.
8: And give us advice as how to best deal with this, with our children particularly.
3: Eventually, a few days after the tragedy, the bereaved father of the family agreed to the release of a photo of his deceased wife.
8: I think hunting people, for instance, for photographs isn't desirable, really. Father Madden of Furhouse. And to think that a family has to go and search out a photograph and to present it to the media.
4: If the Gardaí and if the family had sat together...
3: Jimmy Cunningham of the Irish Mirror...
4: What they should have done was to, they could have resolved so many door knocks and so many doorsteps by issuing a simple picture of the muddle. I don't think the media did anything wrong. I think they, I think they were very, very, very um, cautious in the way they operated up there because they didn't want to
3: intrude on people's lives. You wouldn't want somebody coming to you and give us a picture to keep these guys no, quiet. If all these guys are doing is selling newspapers and making TV and radio you're programs. Right,
4: you're right, but the Gardaí are not as proactive as the British police, about pictures. The Gardaí have to get real, and, and, and people have to get real. that At the end of it, you're saving yourself an awful lot of hassle, an unnecessary hassle and, and anguish, and having people knock on your door. If you take the common-sense approach and say, OK, there's a picture on the website, There's the pe- there's the picture, and I just think that is the way forward.
3: The pressure felt by the father and the family was sustained. His employers were visited by journalists. Some of them pretended to be his friend; most didn't identify themselves as journalists. His boss refused to comment, and he was still quoted in the papers.
8: People are broken-hearted. They know that others are, for instance, trawling for photographs.
3: So they, they the family heard that people were looking for photographs. Yes, that's correct. How did they hear that?
8: Well, people were coming and going all the time, and this information was
3: relayed to them clearly. you see that's an indiscretion as well isn't it I I talked to a man this morning and he said the the, the headlines in the papers were dreadful and the, the mother was very upset even though she didn't read the papers and I said well how did the mother find out about it people kept coming in and telling her and I thought why would you come in and do that to a woman who's grieving or why would you come into a family who's grieving and say the place is full of journalists and they're looking for photographs adding a pain in itself
8: we're all carriers of news really
3: We all have to exercise discretion around that. And that's interesting. We're all carriers of news. Because living in the area in the days after the tragedy, it was interesting to see how it was discussed, especially by children. A denunciation of the media was often followed up with a nugget of speculation or information gleaned from the same media.
1: I found it very difficult to read, so I didn't read much now into it. My mum read and would say, oh, did you see... And I would say, no, I didn't look at it. Oh, well, I'm not going to write, so that was it. So No, to be honest because with you, that's... I didn't read too much. I was only getting third-hand information from other people who were reading. Did you read this today? Did you see that today? So I, I didn't, know. to be honest with you. I was kind of giving it out in another way, though. Don't be reading it like it's all crap. But then again, there mightn't have been. Each to their own story, you know, at the end of it all. But
3: and did you say that to your mother? Did you tell your mother? Well, my mum
1: didn't say that. These were relatives, actually, way down the country on my husband's side that were kind of getting. This is in Cavan, kind of, and that was coming down here going, I believe such a thing. And I said, Who told you that? Well, I saw it in the paper. And I says, Don't be believing everything you read.
3: This is the sound of the coffee shop in Furhouse Shopping Centre the day after the tragedy. There are journalists around me working on their laptops. I can see across to the supermarket. And through the window of the supermarket I can see a woman standing talking to two other women. She's beside the newsstand which has very few papers and will be empty by the end of the day. That woman, who I imagine is a local woman, has been there for over half an hour talking to various different passers-by about the tragedy. Family thought that the uh, kids were being offered money for pictures, well, I heard that, but again
4: i can't substantiate it i I certainly didn't offer any money for any pictures to any child. Th- there were children out there who were offering pictures for money. There were children in the area who would come up to you and say, "Oh yeah, do you want a picture and we 'd say, "Well, right, go off, you go and get a picture and we'd sit in the cafe and 20 minutes later you'd have a group of them hanging around and one of them would say yeah we've got a picture now well i said can we see the picture i say no 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 you'll have to i think at one stage they wanted a couple of hundred for a picture of the mother i don't think they did it in a mean horrible way i just i just they probably saw it they had never seen so many media people in the one area in their time they would never seen so much interest in their area and it's quite natural for people to do things like that we knew we could smell a rat because if somebody has a picture, they genuinely come up to you and say, listen, I have a picture. This is the picture. They'll take it out of an envelope and they say, look, this is what it costs. But I, I can certainly say I saw children who were willing to offer money for pictures.
3: What ages were they?
4: Oh, I'd say they were 14, 15, 16, 17-year-olds, young kids.
3: How did they know the pictures are worth money at that age?
4: They're not stupid. I can tell you one thing about the media business. Everybody know. I, 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 well, from what I've learned as a journalist, I've learned that for every five phone calls I get in, at least three of those calls, people are saying, I'll give you a story, but it'll cost you.
3: Have you ever offered money for a photograph, or paid money for a photograph? Yes. Yes, I would have. What kind of situation?
4: Um, We wouldn't have paid an extraordinary amount of money. It would have been in a a case um, where somebody would have been um, shot at a gangland crime and, you know, pictures would have emerged. I mean, it's, it's standard. I mean, people would pay small amounts of money for them. If, of course, it all depends on the interest of
3: the story. You know. Well, it, in this case, say somebody did come up with a photograph,
4: mm.
3: how much would you have paid? Well, how would you put it? Like that?
4: I would, in that case, I'd go back to my editor and I'd say, look, there's a picture here, a person's looking for such an amount. What do you think? I mean, I can't think from what my editor would say. Well,
3: what would a market figure for that picture be?
4: Well, I mean... I can certainly say I heard other newspapers out there, other papers, were willing to pay a grand, two grand for the picture.
3: Things came to a head on the day of the funeral. The family, through the Catholic Church and through their solicitor, had asked the media to stay away. When the mourners came out of the church, there were about 14 photographers facing them.
0: The first view that I got was the photographers lying across the top of cars trying to probably get a view across the people who were standing in front of them.
6: There was kind of like a line of photographers waiting for the coffins to come out. like, And then obviously when they did come out, then there was kind of like a wave of um, camera shutters going off, which was a bit very, very loud actually. I was surprised how loud it would be.
1: Well, they stayed on the other side of the road, to be honest with you. They didn't actually come over because they knew a lot of people were angry with it. and The guards were keeping them back, you know.
6: There was, um, I wasn't sure, of a relation or a friend, but he basically covered... The father from the cameras, and when the father would like walk to take some condolences from a friend, the other man would actually walk by his side with his back to the cameras and shield him from any shots. So, I mean, I think that just kind of demonstrated their strong desire of the family not to have any meat intrusion in it. They're all in competition with one another, so it's
8: like the paparazzi outside somebody's house. You don't need to have cameras outside the church photographing people in their grief.
6: And then towards the end, then, I think some dogs were getting a bit frustrated not being be able to get a shot, and they kind of start edging forward. And at one point, the guarantee kind of asked them to move back. But there was a couple of people kind of getting slightly annoyed towards the end, then. You know, it wasn't take a photograph for like, you know, a minute and then walk away. It's just the whole time the condolences were there, that sort of thing.
3: So, how long did it go on for?
6: It uh, would have been about 10 to 15 minutes. I mean, they basically stayed and took photographs till the funeral cartel went
0: off. It just felt that um, it was inappropriate and undignified, if you like. And, you know, if it was possible to have a fewer amount of photographers and have it more organised, that whatever they're taking would be shared among them rather than having such a posse, which makes it look bad and it turns people off as well.
3: That's Derek from the local football team who organised a Guard of Honour. This is Paul Drury from the Irish Daily Mail, which, like most newspapers, covered the funeral.
7: There was a collective feeling that this was such a big story, that there was such extraordinary public interest in it, and that there was such a huge outpouring of public sympathy, particularly local community sympathy for the family, that this was something that people did want to read about. I funerals are public occasions you know the whole idea of a funeral is that it's an opportunity for the greater community to pay their respects and the newspapers and the media in general are an extension of the greater community. In this case there were about 14
3: photographers at the funeral with long lenses which made people feel extremely uncomfortable. What do you do in that kind of situation is it just the way we are or is there something can be done Are there codes can be brought in or procedures?
7: I think the the Garda should be a lot more proactive quite honestly I think in the UK, in America, sometimes uh, there is an understanding that the press will be corralled in a certain area and, and it's all done by agreement. The guardies seem, seem slow to move in that direction. Um,
3: but we're all big boys and girls in the media. I mean, why can't we do it ourselves? Why well, can't you know, do it? We
7: can and we do. That's the point I'm making. We can and we do and we try to do it as properly and as, uh, as, as we can. I don't
8: listen to tragedies.
3: Furhouse pharmacist Dermot tragedy. Moran.
8: I think reporters go for a story that sells the story. It's just so sad for the families, and they need time to grieve and time to get over. And you don't need to walk out your front door and find four four reporters. And the, the Irish society is better than this.
3: And there's another element in the coverage of the Furhouse tragedy: British journalists. The Daily Mail had just launched an Irish version when the tragedy took place and some of the reporters it assigned to the story were from the UK who had been brought in for the launch. Fergal Keane of RTE Radio says British journalists often don't have a feel for Ireland.
2: We're not very abrasive in general with each other. People are in the UK and journalists in the UK can be incredibly aggressive in trying to get information, stories, photographs, that kind of thing they don't seem to really care how it intrudes on people's grief. Here, we're a much smaller society, and I think people do care a bit more, and we try to go a little bit more gently on it. I mean,
3: you know, that, isn't a, that isn't a snobbery now, is it? That we're sort of in a broadcasting on an organisation and these guys are out working for tabloids and is Dublin really that different from Doncaster in the way people talk to each other?
2: Uh, I think it is yeah I really think it is the way people go about looking for stories I think here we are and and not just me as a broadcaster uh, I, I mean most of the other newspapers as well now things have started to change in the last couple of years because practices have come in as the tabloid market has got more competitive.
3: Paul Drury of the Irish Daily Mail says there's a very simple reason why his journalists seem to be everywhere on the story. He says it's because they were more upfront about who they were.
7: We are very insistent that our reporters always make a point of identifying themselves when they do call to doors, identify the paper they work for, and also to leave a business card or some phone number so people can contact them if they wish. And And certainly it will be true that we probably did revisit the area on a number of occasions in the weeks and possibly months afterwards because there were a lot of unanswered questions we were keen to to get to the bottom of it but again it was always done you know on a very correct very proper basis and if people didn't want to talk to us we we would always respect their wishes and 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 withdraw I mean yeah unashamedly we do try to be better than anybody else when it comes to covering a big story and a tragedy unfortunately is a big story